शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंद हरि हरि वो सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू थैंक यू सो मच फॉर फॉर कमिंग वी कैन बिगिन विथ आई डोंट नो हाउ मेनी क्वेश्चंस आर देयर महाप्रभु टुडे uh we're supposed to have like five or six but uh, some of the people who wanted to ask questions are not here so mm-hmm. now we have three maybe in the course of uh answering they will join or they would be able to ask their question okay the first one is from ganga shakti okay what is the shastric explanation for the creation of the material universes and more specific Why did the supreme personality of Godhead wanted to create many brahmas who would then create many material worlds couldn't all jivas just stay with krishna and goloka instead of having to first forget him and then strive to remember him again thank you hmm. okay so who who made that question ganga shakti yes okay so thank you so much for the question which gives another opportunity to <clears throat> explain in further detail an important point like the idea of creation in this case in, in every major tradition we have this um uh, these different notions of creation maintenance destruction so this in in the vedic uh bio is connected to sometimes what's called the the trimurti hmm, brahma vishnu shiva but uh, there is something important to understand here and i think i mentioned this but it's we can always stress the same point which is that according to our because ganga shakti is asking for shastric definition which i appreciate her point because we are concerned about here about what shastra says not so much about what any everyone thinks about because everyone can come with so many different ideas on on anything but actually the point is is that we as bad jivas or conditioned souls do not have the capacity to reach perfect conclusions on our own so we need the intervenience the the, the connection with shastra which shastra refers revelation what we may call a perfect method of knowing that through which the absolute himself is making himself known to us in the form of shruti smriti and so on coming to us through parampara so what's the shastric definition of creation and well and many other things in connection to that as ganga shakti mentioned so first i will say that in strictly speaking when we speak of creation we are not speaking about something created out of nothing Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important to understand because in Christianity for example this is the notion they call it in latin creatio ex nihilo creatio ex nihilo means creation out of nothing so in Christianity and, and in great part of the western uh I'm maybe in, the, in 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 Islam similarly I don't know but in big part of our western DNA comes this idea that it was at one point there was nothing and at one point there is something so the 
the worlds were created out of nothing. The Bible speaks a little bit on those terms. The first day, this was created. Second day, this other thing was created. Before that, that, that didn't exist. So there is like a linear sense of time. At one point, everything began. And at one point, developed and so on. But in the, not only in the Gaudiya vision, but in the Hindu vision and Eastern vision, I would say even beyond Hinduism in some circles, the conception of time is circular, not linear. So strictly speaking, we when we speak about creation, we are not speaking about at one point in time, everything began to exist. No, the, the idea is... These cycles of creation, sustenance, dissolution, creation, sustenance, dissolution, and so on, do not have a beginning. Sometimes the duration of the cosmos is connected to... We hear about periods of lifetimes, and now we will go to Brahma, for sure. Brahma lives 100 years, but each year of Brahma, as we know, each day, it's so long, what to speak of one year, what to speak of hundred years but the point is that it's not that before Brahma was born there was nothing there are so many Brahmas and there are so many different dissolutions there are like partial dissolutions I don't want to get too technical and, and, and go make you mad but partial dissolutions that had to do when in the night of Brahma when Brahma goes to sleep and, and we are speaking about one Brahma there are so many Brahmas as Ganga Shakti mentioned in each particular universe there is one Brahma so when Brahma goes to sleep in his night in whatever universe we whatever Brahma we are speaking some section of that universe is destroyed so he wakes up wakes up and he has to restore that again basically <laughs> and at the end of his life that's what sometimes called Mahapralai or great destruction which is the, the, the official end of that universe as per se because of the lifetime of Brahma, but the point is, it's not that the end of all comes there, it's just, it's compared in connection with Mahavishnu also this, the breathing of Mahavishnu, inhaling and exhaling. When Mahavishnu exhales, so many universes are manifest. When he inhales, so many universes become unmanifest. And in each of those universes, there is each one Brahma. In each of those universes, there is... Uh, Garbo Dakasai Vishnu. We have the three Vishnus. Also, this is connected in Shastra Mahavishnu, Garbo Dakasai Vishnu, Siddha Dakasai Vishnu. So, from Mahavishnu, what's sometimes called the casual ocean when he resides, all these different universes manifest. Sometimes they are compared like manifest out of the pores of his bodies. It's a way of saying that. With his exhaling, so many universes come, and for each universe, we have Garbo Dakasai Vishnu, which is the Paramatma of each universe. And then we have Shiro Dakasai Vishnu, which is the Paramatma in every heart and every atom. So in, in all these different levels, microcosmic, macrocosmic, and so on, Bhagavan is there in one form or another. So that to begin with, some general idea of regarding this point that there is no beginning, actually, to the cycles. So... And, and I know this is not easy because <laughs> being conditioned by time and, and space, we tend to think in terms of beginnings and, and, and endings. Something begins, something ends, 
we tend to think of ourselves as such. That's why we are fearful of death yet. I mean, we, are, we, we yet do not have the realization, I am eternal. I have no beginning, I have no end. <laughs> Constantly we feel something, I may die, something may happen to me, this may end, this may... Uh, in terms of beginnings and ends, that's so ingrained in, in the DNA of the Bada Jiva. So gradually we need to, through sadhana, through practice, through mercy, to realize I'm eternal. I have no beginning and end, and nothing has beginning and end, strictly speaking. <laughs> the material creation, the spiritual world, ever, anything. So that said, Ganga Shakti was asking, well, what's the reason for the creation and why why we are here, why we don't, could stay with Krishna in Golok Vrindavan and we had to fall here and go back here or something like that. So all this makes me think that Ganga Shakti may uh, consider that the jivas fall from the spiritual world at some point in time here, which I should say that is not actually the Shastric. You are asking in terms of Shastra, which I appreciate. So in that connection, it is important to notice that nowhere in Shastra it is said that the jivas fall from Golok or fall from Vaikuntha or fall from anywhere for that matter. <laughs> That's an important point. We do not fall from somewhere at some point in time. But we are fallen from time without beginning. So we again, we need to accommodate that. Because again, if I tell you time without beginning, it's like your mind will try to find a beginning to that. <laughs> and, it, and, and that's not the Shastric view. What's Shastric view? And I don't want, this is a long topic. I have spoken and given seminars on this and there are books, entire books about this topic. That's how... The jiva doesn't fall from Vaikuntha, from Golok, from Brahman, Jyoti, from anywhere. But it's Nitesita, uh, Nitebada, sorry. Like, which means eternally conditioned. Eternally in this sense doesn't mean forever in future, but in going to the past. There is no beginning point. Why? Try to follow my idea. This is what Shastra says. And again, it's not fully to be grasped with our head only. Because that's the idea of Shastra. Shastra speaks to our head, but also tries to take us beyond our head. Tarko Pratistana, says Shastra, which means our head is not enough, basically. <laughs> we need to nourish that on some level, but on some level Shastra will take us beyond the reach of time and space. So what Shastra says about this? Shastra says, Bhagavan is eternal, Try to follow my, my logic, but it's not mine, of course. Bhagavan is eternal, and he externally exists along with his shaktis. Shaktis means potencies. So Bhagavan is, has different potencies. Mostly they are presented as three. Sarup Shakti, Jiva Shakti, Maya Shakti. So briefly, what's this? Swarup Shakti means his own internal energy, which personified takes the form of so many eternal associates, spiritual world, and so many other things. Bhakti is another way of speaking about Bhakti. Bhakti Shakti, Swarup Shakti, Antaranga Shakti, Chit Shakti, Para Shakti, all, all these terms are for the same energy. Internal, personal, intimate energy of Bhagavan, which never falls under the influence of Maya, but dispels Maya altogether. 
and even controls Bhagavan. So what to speak of dispelling Maya? <laughs> so that's the power of Swarup Shakti, the highest energy. Then in between, if you will, trying to speak geographically, it's not it's just a way of speaking, please. It's us, Jiva Shakti, or Tatasta, Tatasta Shakti. We are consciousness, we are spirits, but we are not made of Swarup Shakti. So we can be distracted by Maya Shakti. I think we have the experience of that. That's a fact. That's scientifically proved. <laughs> and then we have Maya Shakti, which is the material energy. All these universes made of them, of it and so on. So my point is, Bhagavan exists eternally along with his Shaktis. There's no beginning point where Bhagavan, where God starts to exist. And at the same time, there's no beginning where his energies start to exist. You follow? So he, uh, the souls exist eternally, Maya Shakti, Swarup Shakti, all that exists eternally with Bhagavan. It's not that Bhagavan is, exists without Shaktis, and at one point the Shaktis start to exist along with him. No. Both are one and different. That's our philosophy. Achintya Ved Abed. So Shakti and Shakti Mam are one and different. As, at the same way as you can say, the sun and the sun rays. It's not that the sun existed and at some point the sun rays appeared. The one exists with the other. Fire does not exist separate from heat, light, and at one point they appear. No. You speak about one, you are speaking about the other. <laughs> so, Bhagavan exists without the beginning and without an end, of course. And his Shaktis similarly exist without beginning and without an end. So, we as souls exist without a beginning that's already hard to grasp <laughs> you don't have a beginning and material energy doesn't have a beginning anadi the term is anadi term technically speaking anadi means without beginning adi means beginning anadi means no beginning so anadi means without a beginning so maya shakti is without a beginning jiva shakti is without a beginning of course, Swarup Shakti is without the beginning. So, but my cons my point here is concerning Ganga Shakti's question. Maya Shakti and Tatasta Shakti, Jiva Shakti, both are anadi, without beginning. So, my point is, the relationship between the two must be, therefore, without beginning as well. That's what, I mean, and I'm not saying that, Krishna saying that, you can see chapter 13, verse 20 of the Bhagavad Gita, Vishwanath Chakravarti, Thakur's commentary, Baladev Bidabhushan commentary, they make this point. It's, they say, since Maya is anadi, since Maya Shakti has no beginning, Jiva Shakti has no beginning, the connection between the two must be without beginning. So that that's how we found this idea of we are conditioned from time without a beginning. That's what Rupa Goswami says in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, that's what Jiva Goswami says in Bhagavad Sandarbha, and so on. I, I won't I don't torture you with Shastri quotations. <laughs> but it's an important point to understand because nowadays many devotees still today in the Gaudiya community entertain another idea which is not present in Shastra. So I will speak about briefly about that. Sometimes the idea is that we fall from somewhere at some point. Mm -hmm. Which again it may be easier for us to for our intellect that mainly works in terms of beginnings, that someone tells you, oh, you came from there at one point. And for some it's okay, great, <laughs> easy, point solved, and now I have to be concerned about how to go 
where I want to go. But that, this presents some questions, uh, some problems, especially the idea that if you, if one thinks one falls from Golok Vrindavan, that's a big problem. If you entertain that idea, why? Well, <laughs> try to play out all the implications of that. If I told you, you were with Krishna in a spiritual world and you fell from there. First question is, what made you fell from Golok Vrindavan? Because Golok Vrindavan is in, in the Vaikuntha region, let's say, in the spiritual world. Vaikuntha means without anxiety. So, if you fall, to begin with, if you fall from Golok Vrindavan, that will be a cause of anxiety. Imagine you are working there in Golok Vrindavan and someone else is falling from Golok Vrindavan to the material world. And not only someone, because according to the ones who follow this philosophy, all of us fell from there. So you can imagine how many people are falling constantly for Golok Vrindavan. You will be full of anxiety thinking, may, I may be the next. <laughs> so Vaikuntha, the, the name Vaikuntha makes no meaning. Without anxiety, everything will be full of anxiety. Sakunta instead of Vaikuntha. And also, to begin with, or to continue with, there is no influence of Maya Shakti in the spiritual world. I mean, how, I mean, if you fall from Golok Vrindavan, hypothetically speaking, it's not possible. What can make you fall from there? If you say MB, but how can MB enter Golok Vrindavan? MB means material Maya Shakti, the Gunas. But there is no influence of the Gunas in the spiritual world. So what can make you fall from there? I mean, and if you can fall from Vaikuntha, then why Krishna cannot fall from Golok Vrindavan? Why Radharani cannot fall? I mean... So you, you start to understand the, the implications of thinking like that. And as we mentioned before, in Vaikuntha and in Golok Vrindavan, which is the topmost zenith of Vaikuntha, everything is made of Swarup Shakti. There is no Maya Shakti there. So, and we say Swarup Shakti not only dispels Maya, but controls Krishna, overwhelms Krishna. So if everything is, everyone, everyone is, surrounded by Swarup Shakti I mean how can Maya enter there? again Swarup Shakti dispels Maya that's a secondary thing Swarup Shakti overwhelms Krishna <laughs> try to understand the power of the Swarup Shakti so those who think you fall from Golok due to Maya do not really with all respect understand the power of Bhakti the power of Swarup Shakti which is overwhelming Krishna what to speak of dispelling Maya that's a insignificant thing for the Swarup Shakti to, to perform. <clears throat> so, and I can continue with a long list of, of or arguments and ideas of why I think this is enough. And, and, and again, if you go to Shastra, for example, the Bhagavatam, for us the Srimad Bhagavatam is the most authoritative Shastra Praman or scriptural source of evidence. This was established by Srila Jiva Goswami, our Tattvachara and his Tattva Sandarva. He showed for us, Gaudiya Vaishnavas, the Srimad Bhagavatam is the ultimate praman or evidence, the way of proving something concerning Shastra. And in the Bhagavatam, this point comes at one point, in one place only. But at that point, it's really dealt with very clearly. And this is the section where Jai Vijay <coughs> are falling, quote unquote, from Vaikuntha. So, Narad Muni is narrating the story to Yudhisthir Maharaj. You know the story, the background story to Nrsimha Lila, Pralad Maharaj, and so on. Jai Vijay falling, Iranyaksha, Iranyakasipu, and so on. So, 
when Yudhisthira Maharaj hears from Narad Muni, Jai Bijai fell from Vaikuntha, immediately Yudhisthira Maharaj asked Narada, how can that be possible? How can someone fall from Vaikuntha? I mean, Yudhisthira Maharaj cannot believe that, because he knows it's not possible. <laughs> actually. So that gives place to Nara to say to him, actually, it's not possible to fall from Vaikuntha. They are eternal associates, this is a particular Lila, they are descending on earth to join Bhagavan in his service for this reason. It's not a falling from Vaikuntha. And interestingly, <clears throat> in that section, in the purport to that verse, Srila Prabhupada says, nobody falls from Vaikuntha. And, and now I'm quoting Srila Prabhupada, why? Because I, th I know that most of the devotees who think that we fall from Vaikuntha will think like that because Prabhupada say that also. <laughs> so that comes the situation where we have to harmonize <clears throat> and know how to deal with apparently contradicting arguments because of course if your guru say on one side nobody falls from Vaikuntha <laughs> and at another point he says you fall from Vaikuntha I mean you have to start to think about that. Sila Rupa Goswami says in the Lagu Bhagavatamrita, when two arguments appear to contradict one another, you cannot just cherry pick, you understand cherry pick? Like choose the one you like the most or the one who is, which is more comfortable for you. No, you have to understand to solve the contradiction, to, re to create some reconciliation of facts. You cannot just pick the one you like the most and reject the other without thinking about that. You have to understand, no, there must be one of the two. It's not, I mean, if there can be two pos, I mean, regarding certain things, there are two different answers that may be possible. But regarding some things, there are only one of them. If I told you the Jiva is eternal, the Jiva is not eternal, you cannot say, oh, the two of them are right. You pick the one you like the most. No, it's not possible. <laughs> now, if I tell you Krishna is is a friend and Krishna is a lover, and the two are right, no problem. It's not that one is like eliminating the other. But if I say nobody falls from Vaikuntha and you can fall from Vaikuntha, I mean, the two of them cannot stand together. So the point is, again, Prabhupada said the two things. But our previous Acharyas and the Bhagavatam and the Goswamis and the Gita, as I mentioned, the Vedanta Sutra, the Danta Sutra also makes this point very clear. Karma is an Adi. All of them say, nobody falls from Vaikuntha. Mm -hmm. So it's not that, oh no, but Sila Prabhupada now is so empowered that he can do whatever, say whatever he likes and now that's the new Siddhanta. No, that's not the way to reach Siddhanta and to glorify Prabhupada because Prabhupada himself say <laughs> Siddhanta <clears throat> in this connection. He mentioned nobody falls from Vaikuntha and interestingly, whenever he spoke about this, in his books, he always said nobody falls from Vaikuntha. And whenever he says somebody may fall from Vaikuntha, that was speaking on personal conversation with some of his disciples. Which the point is, that's a more relative situation than writing a book. In the book, you try mostly to clearly establish the Siddhanta and sometimes speaking personally with someone, you may adjust your presentation according to the other person's capacity. And again, which was the capacity of the time? Most of Prabhupada's disciples were basically babies regarding spiritual life, regarding philosophy, Gaudiya Siddhanta. They were knowing all these things from some months ago, some few years. 
on, on, on the game. The concept cyclical time, no beginning for no 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 time for beginning for our conditioning. That's not so easy to grasp. So Prabhupada didn't want his disciples to become too confused or distracted with so many new things to digest, and he wanted to point and emphasize certain things in the beginning with the with the hope that in time they will gradually understand all the other things. So it's, I also compare like the example of when the baby asks the mother, not the boy, the boy may have two, three years and ask their ma his mother, Mom, where I'm coming from? And the mother will say, oh, some bird throw you through the chimney one day. And the boy is, oh, how nice. <laughs> oh, nice story. Very, very interesting. And he's, he's satisfied with that. He, he's not able to digest the whole process behind his birth on earth. Eventually, he will know about that, of course. So you cannot tell the mother is <clears throat> is lying or cheating his baby. No? Something. So this is the same principle with some... <clears throat> when some of our acharyas have uh, resorted to what we may call teaching techniques, sometimes it's called pre preaching a strategy, that's not a cheating. That's just a compassionate... <clears throat> adjusting of the presentation. In, in the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali says the same thing. When he speaks about Yama, Niyama, and he speaks about Yama. So he starts mentioning the first Ahimsa, Satyam, Asteya, and so on. So the very first of the five Niyamas is Ahimsa. So Ahimsa means non-violence. And then comes Satyam. Satyam means truthfulness. So interestingly he says <clears throat> since Ahimsa is the first one all the others have to be aligned with Ahimsa. All the other has to respond to Ahimsa. So truthfulness has to be non-violent. If I tell you the truth in a way that is violent that's not truth at all. Do you follow? For example if, you are, if Ganga Shakti is escaping from some robbers that are chasing after her. And, and, and I'm just a passerby and walking there, and I didn't, I saw her running just. And the robbers come before, behind her, and they ask me, have you seen a lady with glasses and, and, and a red cloth running? <laughs> and I realized, so oh, these are robbers, so they want to kill her maybe. And I'm truthful, and I say, yes, I saw her. She was running in that direction. I'm truthful. <laughs> But I am truthful in such a way that I will create something violent to her. So Ahimsa is being violated there. So my satyam, my truthfulness, is not real truth. So this, my point with this is sometimes acharyas are not saying the truth in every single sense because that will re be result in a type of violence in the sense of disturbance of the faith of the neophyte, let's say. So they understand. If I tell all of this to them immediately, they will be disturbed. So I won't tell that now. So I will adjust the presentation. And some who may not be able to digest this idea, yeah, we fall from Vaikuntha, next topic. <laughs> but again, if you turn to scripture, to Shastra, to Bhagavatam, to the Gita, to the Vedanta Sutra, to the Goswami Granta, never comes this idea of falling from Golok because again, it makes no sense whatsoever regarding even logic, regarding, again, the nature of that place. If you really understand the nature of that place, how absorbing is the spiritual influence there. Nobody has 
a moment to think about something else. So it's not that you are there. <laughs> Sometimes I've heard about this. You are there, and suddenly you you look back to the material world to see what's going on there. You become tempted, and you go. I mean, there's no time and no nothing that will make you look at that. You are not aware that material world is existing. That's the point. It's it's so thick the influence of Swarup Shakti that Maya Shakti is out of the picture altogether. Like when you are flying in a plane, at the beginning the plane is about to, 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 to fly, you see the world, you see the stuff, it's going up and up, you see everything is smaller, 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 it goes above the clouds, the whole world under the clouds disappears out of your sight. Now you are in a different realm altogether. So that's a similar, if you are really in Golok Vrindavan, I mean, you are not aware of anything else. Krishna is not aware of anything else. He's totally absorbed in Lila loving interactions of what to speak of us. And even if you would like to entertain the idea, okay, I was in Golokbrin down and I felt here, I fell here, so what's what's the guarantee that whenever I go back there, I won't fall again? <laughs> Try to think about that. I mean, it's not too inspiring. I'm struggling so much to reach a place that I may be kicked out again because of who knows what. <laughs> So it makes no no sense. I heard the would say, no, the second time you arrive there, you won't fall again. So what's what's the logic for that? What's the Shastra explaining that? So that's my point. We have to really understand that how to reach Siddhanta. It's not just because someone said something and that's all. Sometimes they had this problem. No, Prabhupada said this, or Srila Semara said that, or Bhaktinathakur said this. And, and and they take only that line and that's all. But they do not invest, do further research. What did they say? They say something else different. What they say before, what did they say after, what the Shastra is saying. And even in Shastra, there may be different things. How to understand that? I mean, it's a whole science. It's not just I open the book and I have reached Siddhanta. If you have the capacity, you can do that. But if not, <laughs> so let's say compare the Vedas as a jungle of sounds with different advice and different indication for different people because in, in India you have this, you don't have only one book, you have so many books because there are so many people in, with so many levels of, of awareness, advancement. You have Rajasic Puranas, Tamasic Puranas, Sadvic Puranas and according to your disposition in those books there will be certain emphasis in that direction, in this direction. But we need to understand all this from the bigger picture, from the real context. So. So it's it's a work, and for that we need a guru, for sure. Gurus, the shelter of gurus, diksha, siksha gurus, that they may teach us Shastra. It may, it may uh, educate us on how to understand Shastra. Because if not, we can just pick a quote and very whimsically and fanatically do some copy-paste, and this is the truth, and try to absolutize that. <laughs> but immediately one can bring another thing that opposes that, and... and so how to reach all this? No? So the conclusion is that nobody falls from Vaikuntha. So the point is, so I'm extending a little bit with your permission, but this is an important point. So also Gangashati was asking, so why all this universe and well? But again, the point is, it never began. It never had. It's not that Krishna said, okay, let's begin the universes, let's begin the cycle of creation. It's, it has been always there. So as my guru Maharaj will say, we are not to judge Krishna according to what he created. Because again, he didn't create anything. Everything existed from eternity along with him. <laughs> he, 
he existed he exists from eternity with his energies so it's not that he starts to create them at one point and and we are judging him why he created the material world i mean he didn't create the material world maya shakti exists forever along with him so instead of judging god regarding what he created or not he didn't create anything we are to judge him judging quote unquote to consider him according to how he behaves with those things who already exist that's the point not so much to consider if he's good or bad according to what he created because he didn't create anything so according to what is there eternally how he's behaving with each one of those energies and we and you realize he's behaving properly he he shows mercy to those who take shelter in the Swarup Shakti and to those who choose to remain under the, the influence of Maya Shakti he shows perfect justice so he's perfectly just for those who want to remain in the realm of Maya Shakti he's perfectly merciful for those who want to take shelter under the Swarup Shakti so he's perfectly interacting with all these Shaktis I mean he's he's not at fault he's not to blame and that's the whole problem generally we we feel the need of blaming someone. <laughs> I'm thinking, who is to blame because of all this? Nobody is to blame. Everything is perfect. So the only problem is that we are not seeing the full picture. And I can continue speaking about so many things because it's an interesting topic, but I know there are some other questions, but just one more thing. Sila <laughs> Jiva Goswami also interestingly mentions in his Paramatma Sandarva, that's a very revolutionary book, to read and to understand the nature of this world and nature of the Shiva and the, and the <laughs> it's very interesting. And at one point, what he mentions is actually all these creation cycles which don't have a beginning. If you would like to to think about some motivation behind them, Krishna Goswami say the main motivation is Krishna for Krishna to come to this world and 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 and, and basically and um, how is this word? and redeem, and redeem those devotees who are in this world and are in separation from him and want to join him in the Nitya Lila, he mainly comes from for them in this world. That's his main in, in, interest, because Krishna is not going out of the orbit of his Swarup Shakti. That's an important point. Again, maybe I may be talking too much, but Paramatma is more connected with the Maya Shakti, but Krishna, Bhagavan Krishna, Sri Krishna, when he comes to this world as an avatar, He's not entering in touch with Maya Shakti. He remains in the circle of Swarup Shakti. So he mostly comes for his devotees. He's, this is what he says in the Gita. Paritranaya sadhunam binasaya chaduskritam dharma samstapanartya sambhavami juge juge He mentions three main reasons for him to appear age after age in this world. First, to protect my devotees. And, and the, the commentators have said to protect the, who, which devotees from what? So they say, to protect my devotees who are so advanced that they are dying in separation from me. So I have to go down and protect them because they are dying in separation. I will protect them by giving them my darshan, my association, so they can join me, have a trailer of the Nitya Lila and then go, go with me there. And as a byproduct of that, some other aspects of me kill the demons, the Vishnu inside of Krishna kills the demons, establish the Dharma in the world, but that's not the function of Swayam Bhagavan Krishna. He's only absorbing Lila with his devotees. So, and the Vedanta Sutra says that similarly. Lokabhattu Lila Kaivalyam says. All these worlds 
arise again arise quote unquote there is not a beginning to that <laughs> but it's a way of connecting that the source of these worlds is the the lila of Krishna the joy of Krishna the over, overflow of joy of Krishna which makes him express his diversity and give us the opportunity to yeah I mean the idea is the, the, the whole idea of this world of this cosmic manifestation is for us to develop love for Krishna basically if you really understand that there is no problem if you understand I'm here from time without a beginning but from time without a beginning I also had the chance to choose Bhakti Shakti for particular reason I have not chosen that till now but in this lifetime or maybe who knows some previous lifetime I have entered in contact with Swarup Shakti Bhakti Shakti and I can start my process in that direction so so that that's the point. No? We shouldn't be <clears throat> thinking about why in this connection. Why? 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 <laughs> why not? <laughs> Again, and I tried to give some logical reasons as to why Krishna, his ex- eternal existence, along with his shaktis, and how we are to understand that. And again, this is not so simple. I understand it's, it's it takes us beyond linear time. It takes us beyond our acquired sense of how things work and have a beginning. So I, I understand that it may take some time and I understand why some previous acharyas may have spoken of that in different terms. But that's the Shastric conclusion, basically. So the whole background to this material world is Anandam, the joy of Bhagavan. Bhagavan is overflowing in joy and that extends to touch the material realm and give us the chance of engaging in bhakti here. Hmm. So as, as as much as we engage in bhakti properly here, I mean this this is a very important point, and this is a very unique point of our sampradaya. If you take the process seriously and go deep and deep and deep, you will realize my goal is here. I don't have to go anywhere, basically. You will find Vrindavan is here, if you will, it's here. And and that's a great contrast with like a doctrine like Advaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta will say. Jagan Mitya. The whole world is false. <laughs> On the other three extreme. The, the whole world is false. What you th- you think this is real is totally false. Go the Abhishna will say, no. If you really t- focus in the proper direction, you'll find the ultimate destiny here, even. <laughs> so that's a, re- a realistic philosophy to the utmost degree. <laughs> It's very practical. So some ideas, of course, we may continue. We, I can continue speaking about that, but that's an, some ideas, basic ideas. If there are any other questions on that topic, of course, we can try to address that before going to the next question. I don't know. I have a follow-up question about something that you said. Yes. That's very interesting to me about the truth. Because many devotees, you know, actually have the idea, you know, that the way to help people is to take the truth, either they like it or they don't like it. Uh, well, I... And they use example of Bhaktisiddhanta and Prabhupada and, and so on. Well, uh, I have shown the example of how Prabhupada adjusted his presentation. He was not always saying the same things. And Bhaktisiddhanta, you can tell the same. I mean, because, I mean, sometimes using other acharyas to to make your point, uh, I mean, not your point, but one's point, 
sometimes it's a delicate thing because you might say, no, 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 Prabhupada this like this and, and, and you just basically are using that personality to serve your purpose. <laughs> but you are not taking the time to understand, to see, see if that person always say like that or that was just one example <laughs> that I'm using in my favor. But you will understand, no, they were really compassionate, they were really flexible and they were, the Vedas say Satyambriyat Priyambriyat also, which means you have to speak the truth, but you have to speak the truth in a in a sweet way. Hmm. And again, this doesn't mean that you will become extremely diplomatic and be hypocrite in the name of speaking the truth and there will be no truth at all. But <laughs> but you, first of all, before speaking the truth, you have to know the truth to begin with because sometimes people does not even know the truth. So what to speak of adjusting the presentation? If you don't know the truth... <laughs> you may be presenting a distorted thing and you are not adjusting anything. You just don't know what's the truth what altogether. So <laughs> before speaking, adjusting the truth, someone has to know the truth. And after knowing the truth, you have to know what's the truth of the other person, if you will. What's the situation of the audience? And knowing those things, you can adjust something. It's not so easy. No. Because I'm seeing sometimes practitioners like uh, rushing in that direction and they do not know the truth too much they do not take the time to be empathic to the other persons and they just just, just say something in the name of the truth <laughs> without them knowing the truth in detail and without them taking the time of feeling what the other person is going through so the re result of that of course won't be very successful very compassionate very loving <laughs> so Again, everyone will act according to their adhikar and capacity, and, and I think that's important to to know. But but yeah, I mean, to to tell the truth, and, and I will say those who may say that, <laughs> you may say, you have to tell the truth, no matter the other reaction. He was not ready for the truth, so he was not able to digest that. But the point is, how much I am able to do that if someone else comes to me and tells me the whole truth. <laughs> I may not be able to tolerate that. I may not be able to to like all the things that I have to hear <laughs> because the person is speaking without any filter whatsoever. So again, <clears throat> if we have topmost humility and all the Vaishnava qualities, we may be able to fully deal with the, the, the truth directly, if you will. But also the truth directly, what does it mean? I mean, it doesn't mean to be violent to other person because sometimes our own anarchist filter in, in that type of level, like you have to tell the truth, and actually you are just like, like, expressing your own frustration and your own anger, and you are just in the name of telling the truth, <laughs> you are just attacking other person, and, and and it's easy because we have a very high philosophy, so you can become very easily proud because you can feel yourself higher than others very quickly. <laughs> You, you receive so much information, so many things, and a lifestyle that even you may not, one may not be practiced, putting in practice, but let's say you are putting in practice, and very, very easily you can feel, I'm higher than others. And, and they do not know anything. So when you start to speak with them, you have to know the truth. But that's not how it works. I mean, again, ahimsa should be there. Compassion. And compassion is very important for many practitioners in every tradition that's something that is not really it's underestimated so i mean we sh in the name of giving truth we should be 
we should feel, we should see that our heart is expanding. We are growing in compassion because if not, if my truth, my speaking of truth, is not making me more compassionate, what truth is that? Is that one? No? So again, we have to speak the truth, but also, as I always say, in a way of uplifting the other person. So if, some, if saying the truth to someone will discourage that person, will make that person be confused. I mean, I have to reconsider. My, my presentation. You have the famous example of Narad Muni. No? When, when he met Mrigari, the hunter, no? <laughs> he didn't say, stop hunting and become a brahmachari, that's the truth, or I don't know what. <laughs> he said, continue hunting, but kill the animals completely, because Mrigari was killing them half only, because he learned that from his tradition. Half killed animals. So they were all of them not dying, not alive, it was a torture. So Nara said, kill them completely. Be more merciful. <laughs> because he realized, you are a hunter, I cannot tell you stop hunting, that will be too much for you. So at least kill them completely, do not leave them being tortured like that. Mm -hmm. Of course, by the association of Nara, he didn't even have to kill any animals, he became transformed. But the point is, how Narada addressed the situation. Of the other famous example, when he said, chant Mara no, to this killer. He knew he likes death so much. So he said, you chant Mara. Mara means death. But when you repeat Mara many times, it becomes Ram. Ram, Ram, Ram. <laughs> so the person starts to, to recite Mara, Mara, Mara. I'm praising death. And actually he didn't realize I'm praising Ramachandra. And eventually he became the well-known Balmiki who wrote the whole Ramayan. <laughs> and the whole, if you will, you can say the whole Ramayan came out of the preaching strategy of Narada. <laughs> Nara didn't tell the whole truth. No, you are a demon. You like to praise death. You should praise Sri Ramachandra. If not, get out of. No, he say, okay, I adjust your situation. Praise death, but in such a way that he ended up being benefited. So again, he knew the Siddhanta. He had a proper intention. He was intelligent enough to devise to create a strategy to benefit the other person. And you see the result of that. So. Falina Farishate, we are to judge the, the, the tree by its fruits. Hmm. Because I may say in the name, I am speaking the truth, but what's the fruit of that? Everyone is discouraged, everyone is confused, everyone becomes, I don't know, whatever, fanatical. That's what's the truth there. Hmm. So, some ideas, some ideas. And of course, <laughs> we shouldn't be now violent towards those who are speaking the truth in that way because <laughs> we may fail in the same thing oh you are you know and you are doing the same thing that they are doing so we should learn how to teach by example that's the main thing for sure no? so it's not easy but <laughs> we we have to be put to test and there we will see where are we standing in our in the, on the feet of our spiritual realization because we can speak and we can say so many things and we can write so many things in social media even worse <laughs> But how we stand in, in the moments of showing our inner inside. That's who we are. That's where we are. So, yeah. Okay. What else? <clears throat> thank you, Maharaj. This was now, thank you. Um, now we have in the list Mirewa. If uh, you want to to state your question. <clears throat> yes, thank you. Um, 
I don't have a babysitter, so that's why I not keep my camera on. You have some back, uh, back, you, back, you, you have some background curtain with the babies there. Yes, background curtain. But no problem. This is the best I can do yeah. uh, today. Um, <laughs> so uh, my question today is: uh, uh, wanting or not, uh, every now and then uh, on lectures, uh, I do hear about Krishna Lilas, which. Uh, are not adjusted, um, don't, don't answer my level of uh, understanding now. Uh, you know, for example, some love stories with copies and Tarada and um, uh, one thing or not, I do hear about them. And they give me a sense of uh, non-safety. Uh, Why? Because um, my mind uh, connects monogamy uh, uh, with safety. Mm. And whenever I hear, uh, and I understand that Krishna is God and I shouldn't do that, <laughs> but I do do it and after that I feel... I don't know. I I have like I don't know. I don't. I I can't surrender. You know. I feel okay. Maybe that's not a safe place to surrender. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how I feel after I hear it. And yeah, my question is how to deal with my feelings, which will I hope they will disappear with time, with knowledge, and with uh, my mm-hmm. you know you know. But uh, right now, this is my uh, yeah okay. challenge. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I will tell you the truth about this directly. <laughs> but it is hopefully in a compassionate way, as we were speaking before. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you are not alone in that situation. That's a classical <clears throat> experience that many, many practitioners have had. <clears throat> At some stage, no, it's not there to remain forever. And, and why this is so? Well, because Krishna Lila is especially Lila in Vrindavan, because we can speak about Krishna Lila in Dwarka, in Mathura, but Braj Lila is Nara Lila. And of course, the other Lilas are also Nara Lila, but especially Braj Lila is Nara Lila. Nara Lila means human-like. As, as my Guru Maharaj will say, the two words are important here. human like. <laughs> it's not human in every single sense of the term. It's like. It resembles our own experience enough as to ask for us to bond, create an emotional bond with Krishna Lila, but at the same time it's like, which means it's totally supramundane, transcendental, nothing to do with our ordinary experience as humans as well. And again, this may take time for us to grasp and for this we need to study these sections when we eventually will do so with the commentaries of the acharyas which will really show us what's really taking place there. Of course again Krishna Lila overtly may seem uh, disturbing as you mentioned for some reasons and sometimes our acharyas have also recommended us to go to the Gaur Lila for that matter. Gaur Lila means those same players in that lila appearing in another lila as sadakas, 
as devotional practitioners, that's what we are trying to be. So that, that may be much closer to where we are now, if you will. <laughs> uh, so instead of seeing Rupa Manjari <clears throat> assisting Sri Radha in her rendezvous with Krishna, you will see Rupa Goswami giving a, a certain example of humility and practice and knowledge and detachment and this <laughs> and so on with every single member of the Lila. So that's one way of of replying to your question. No, it's always important to enter Krishna Lila first by going through Gaur Lila. That will put Krishna Lila in context. That's what happened with Bhaktivinoda Thakur, for example. Interestingly, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he narrates this in his own uh, autobiography, that at one point, because he was born in India, but he was educated as an Englishman. He had British education at the time in India. So he was born as an Indian, but educated as a Christian, if you will. But he was aware of the Indian scriptures. So I need to say, when the English came to India, they found so many, for them, according to them, so many weird things in India. No, like different people and many hands and many eyes and many things that for the in English men were like, what's this about? I mean, this is weird. Or or they felt this is like polytheistic or they are speaking about becoming God. So what has this to do with Christianity? But eventually they hear about Vaishnavism and they hear, oh, this is nice. This really resembles Christianity. Devotion to God, personal, monotheistic, conception but eventually they get to the so start to study Vaishnavism Vaishnavism till they get to the Srimad Bhagavatam <laughs> until they get to the Brajalila and they say oh everything became spoiled here oh my god no. they hear Bhagavad Gita and say oh this is nice Krishna is speaking very soberly so let's know more about about Krishna so they went to Vrindavan to the Bhagavad and say oh my god no. unlimited gopis lovers and What's going on here? So Krishna is a very enigmatic person. Krishna is for on one side he's Yogeshwar, which means this, the, the master of all yoga. And as you know, a requisite, classical requisite from yoga is brahmacharya, celibacy. So one side he's Yogeshwar, on the other side he has unlimited lovers. <laughs> so the, especially the adolescence of Krishna is difficult to digest for some. And that's why some people have struggled... To, to only say, to, to establish Krishna, the Krishna of the Gita is the only one, the, the bona fide one. All the other Krishnas are interpolations. But the Upanishadic, sober Krishna speaking to Arjuna, that's Krishna. During Bhaktivinoda Thakur's time, he, many tried to establish that in India. And trying to dismiss Braja Krishna, especially Kishore, not the adolescent Krishna. Or some other will worship Krishna as a baby in Vrindavan. No, because that's also easy. No? It's a baby, no problem. He's doing some naughty things. He's not running with many ladies. So there's no conflicting thing. It's like my boy, okay. But when you when Krishna reaches Kishore, which actually for us is the topmost Krishna, because it includes, not only it includes his relationship with the gopis, of course it includes all the other ones, with Batsalya, with Sakya. So there you have this challenging scenario. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur had this problem. He said that due to the influence of my British education, I have developed some rejection towards Indian scriptures, especially for the Srimad Bhagavatam. 
<laughs> and the only mo and the moment where I started to understood the Srimad, started to understand the Bhagavatam is when I studied Chaitanya Charitamrita, he says. In other words, when I studied the Bhagavatam through the eyes of Sri Chaitanya, through the eye when I studied Krishna Lila through the filter of War Lila, then I understood what Krishna Lila is about. Everything was in context. There was no more disturbance. All those things that seemed immoral or whatever fell into proper place. So that's something else to share. And this takes time. Again, this is not something that we can force. I have to enter there and just read the most intimate pastime with Krishna and the gopis and, 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 and be connected to the essence. No, that's not even recommended for... I mean, Jiva Goswami, let's, let's make some strict, direct statement. Jiva Goswami, the Sandarva says, if by reading Krishna's dealings with the gopis, you experience, how do you say in English, erogenous, erogenous, like physical transformations regarding sexual agitation. If you physically... I don't know. No, there's another, another word, but no problem. Erogen? No problem. If you, by you hearing these lilas, you experience some transformation, some agitation, you are not to read them. And of course, there are degrees of those descriptions. You can have a journal in the Trimad Bhavat, and the description is general, actually. It's not detailed. <laughs> if you go to other books, that's really detailed. And, and, and our chairs recommend you have to have mostly your senses under control. Because if not, the, the, instead of getting benefited from that, you will increase your agitation. And, and that's, not, that's not the idea. And that's why the last chapter of the Rasa Lila, of these five chapters of the Bhagavatam, which deal with Krishna and the gopis, the end verse, which is called Falashruti, which is classically a verse that will depict what's the result of reading this section. The verse says, he said, for one who hears this section where Vishnu says the Bhagavatam, which is another way of referring Krishna is God, because this section is not Vishnu, it's Krishna with the gopis dancing and singing. But the Bhagavatam said, Vishnu is playing with the gopis, so implying he, uh, he seems like an adolescent boy, but do not forget his Vishnu. <laughs> he is the supreme god, totally transcendental. By hearing this narration with proper faith, you will control lust, the, en the, the enemy of the heart. So, interestingly, they bow out and say, if you hear the Leelas of Krishna and the Gopis properly, instead of being agitated, you will be control all agitation. And of course, properly means going through the commentaries, having a proper attitude, proper understanding, this is not mundane, this is super mundane, this is not something for me to imitate. And this is speaking about the the love of the soul with God, basically. So let, let, let's take it, because each section of the scripture, you can understand that in different levels. There are three main levels, which is the literal meaning of scripture, the interpretative meaning of scripture, and the esoteric meaning of scripture. And so many nuances in between, but generally. So literally means, literally. <laughs> Krishna is with the gopis, oh, this guy, 
is engaging in adultery, so many ladies there, or I don't know, Krishna tell, telling Arjuna, kill your relatives, okay, and you follow the... <laughs> I mean, literally, copy-paste, you are not going beyond that. So generally, that's not the idea. Interpreted, interpretive means, no, there is some idea, there is some teaching here. This is symbolically pointing to these, and I have to take this lesson from that, and so on. So... For most, this is the recommended stance. But then you have esoteric, which means how a, a devotee who is living inside, in, in his heart, her heart, in the lila, how that devotee will read those sections. <laughs> which we cannot just like teach that. It just it will come as a result of your purification and advancement. So regarding the, the in-between level, interpretative level, you see Krishna and the gopis. Maybe you know this story, maybe I told this many times, but I will tell it one more time. Once, I hope this won't happen to Mirella, but once <laughs> one Christian nun took the Vaishnavas to the court because she read this section of Krishna and the Gopis and she said, you are worshipping an immoral god. So you are all worshippers of uh, an adulterous divinity. So this is nonsense and they took the case to court. So the, the nun started to share in the court all the evidence, all the verses and all the sections in scripture of some of them, where Krishna was depicted as having so many gopis and marrying, having marriage with 16,108 queens, <laughs> and these numbers. You know? So after hours of quoting all this and saying, so they are totally immoral. Of course, for us, we will say Im immediately, to begin with, the one who narrated that was Sukadeva Goswami, Sukadev Goswami was nice thick brahmachari, was atmaram, was totally uninterested in worldly affairs, was celibate from birth, and he was interested in Krishna's loving affair with the gopis. So it must, it means, it has something to do with something else. <laughs> Mahaprabhu himself was so strict as a sannyasi, and he was absorbing hearing those narrations. So the point is, I mean, they are not crazy people. <laughs> they are really self-controlled, and they like that. So it means. There is self-control there as well, and more. So, well, the point that the nun was presenting all this, so then the turn for the devotee came to, to present his evidence. You may know the story. It was famous. It was in Europe, not in Bulgaria, I don't know, but some nearby country there in Eastern Europe. In Poland, I think. Okay, Poland, yeah. It's some years back. So the devotees, the, 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 the judge say, you speak now. So the devotee say, I don't have too many things to say. I only have one question to make to the nun. And everyone was like, oh, after the nun spoke for hours, this person is saying only one question, and that's my old testimony. So, what's that question? So, the devotee asked the nun, you have a ring, right, in your finger. So, what's the meaning of that ring? That was his question. <laughs> so, the nun was like, yes, I have a ring. So, what's the meaning? So, she said, the meaning is that I married with Jesus Christ. So the devotee say, I don't have anything else to, 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 to say. Like implying, if Jesus Christ is married with every single nun in the world, he's much more adulterous than Krishna himself. <laughs> but of course we are not thinking in those terms. We are not thinking Jesus Christ is adulterous. In which sense they are married? You follow? It's, if we are speaking about the marriage of the soul, this is the very idea of Krishna and the gopis. You can see that in the very, in the very beginning of the Rasa Lila. Krishna is playing the flute. You know the story. 
<clears throat> each gopi will hear the sound of the flute and they will hear their name in the sound of the flute. That's an important point. I mean, the, the sound of the flute is not just the sound of the flute. In many our books, when Krishna plays the flute, then comes many verses which translate what's the meaning of the sound of the flute to each devotee. What, what does it mean? What particular call? What is Krishna saying to them? <laughs> so every gopi heard their names there. They, they ran after the sound of the flute without knowing that all of the other gopis were being running in that direction. <laughs> and they came... And suddenly, you can imagine the situation. All of them were running, and suddenly, all of them, oh, you are here also. Oh, you came. All of you came. And the important point here is, none of them was jealous before. None of them were thinking, oh no, no, Krishna is only for me. Oh no, no, it's for me. Oh no, no. All of them said, oh how nice, you also came. You also heard the flute. You also are attracted to Krishna. You also want to serve him. Let's serve him together. Let's please him. So try to grasp this point to begin with. I mean, because in this world, <laughs> with all respect to to romantic affairs, there's no three are a multitude, as they say. <laughs> so one side we say in this world romantic love is the highest, but at the same time it gives place to no more than two. So how how high is that? And I understand with this I'm not promoting all of you get a lo some lovers and expand your loving capacity. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to make a comparison between these two realms so we do not fully compare them and we understand this is not the same at all. <laughs> Krishna is dealing with the gopis has nothing to do with this idea of monogamy. Of course, you want monogamy, you have Ramachandra in Ramlila. He's a perfect ideal of Dharma. He makes Ekpatnibrata, which means a vow of only one wife. Because sometimes as kings in Vedic society, they used to have more than one wife. But he had made only one but one wife. So that's Krishna. I mean, my point is, when Krishna wants to show that, he can show that. <laughs> if Krishna wants to be chased to her wife in, in, soci in, in society level, he can do that perfect, perfectly. Nobody can be better than better husband than him. In that, let's say, worldly sense of chastity to the wife. But when we see Krishna... It seems that he's transgressing all that. But actually he's showing something more than that. So that's why in our tradition we say Krishna dealing with the gopis. They are called parakya bhav. Parakya, parakya means they belong to someone else and they are getting together. No? The gopis seem to be married to someone else. but they. So that's parakya bhav. Bhav means how they feel, how the mood. But... Swakya Tattva. In Tattva, or it means in reality, they belong to one another. In, in Tattva, in, in reality, Radha and Krishna are married to each other. Each gopi is married to Krishna. In the sense of they belong to each other. They don't have a, a separate idea for, of someone else. The gopis are only living for Krishna. So externally, it takes the form of belonging to someone else just to highlight the nature of that love and how to, in spite of so many obstacles that they have to, you know, to transcend, to meet Krishna, they take all risk, all risk in every single sense to give pleasure to Krishna. And Krishna, again, is, is God. Again, in an esoteric level, we won't think Krishna is God. <laughs> but on an inter interpretative level, we need to stress that. Krishna is God, and the gopis are the shaktis of God. 
Krishna is Shakti Mam, the energetic source. Shirada is Adi Shakti, the supreme energy. So there's no separation between the two. In the Rasalila Sukadev Goswami described this when Krishna was dancing with the gopis, it was like if he was playing with his own shadow. No, like implying the gopis were extensions of his own inner being. So we cannot think in terms of separate. Uh, he belongs to me and nobody else and things like this. And and even when Radharani Shirada uh, becomes exhibits man, man it's translated sometimes as jealous love. <laughs> She's not exhibiting that because she's actually jealous and, 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 she, and she wants only to be, but only to give Krishna pleasure. So when she knows that her man, her jealous love, gave pleasure, she's immediately taking that out. She knows when to express that and when not to express that. It's not like the jealousy we conceive in this world, which sometimes has to do with whatever, who knows, <laughs> so many things, envy or things like this, feeling of you are mine only and and trying to make the other my pro 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 property in a mundane sense. So, And with this I'm not saying Mirella. So now with all this in mind, go back and read the whole section till you get that experience. It's a gradual process if you feel the necessity of taking some distance and from that distance appreciating that. That's the point. No, not just taking a distance and being evasive. Like... I don't want to think about that and I don't want to look about that because you have to solve that at one point because it's so prominent in our tradition, <laughs> the love of Krishna for the gopis and vice versa. But it's important to understand this. Their love is totally selfless. There's no separate interest. There's no exploitation whatsoever. There's only the wish to please the other person from both sides, Krishna to the gopis, gopis to Krishna, and, and the point is, till we ourselves do not reach that platform, of course it will be difficult to fully appreciate what's, go to, what's going on. And we may just compare or project our own sensibilities. And okay, it's part of life. I mean, to acknowledge that it's part of life. We are, because again, Krishna Lila is human-like. <laughs> so, it's, that's, that has a charm, but that has a risk also. You know, the charm is... We quickly connect with that, we feel part of that, it's similar to our... But at the same time, we can <laughs> make that too much on our, on our level, and that's not on our level. So, and that's why in the Bhagavatam, and you have so many in between this human-like narration, so many situations that really helps you to understand, this is not human, this is transcendental <laughs> at the same time. Krishna is dancing with the gopis very beautifully, but at one point he's expanding to be with each one of the gopis. So you realize, oh my God, I cannot do that. <laughs> this is not from this world. Krishna is having picnic with his friends and it's full of informality and playing in the forest. But eventually after some moments when Brahma thought he kidnapped his friend, Krishna started to expand in so many Narayans. So you realize, oh, it seemed human, but there is something more to it. <laughs> so gradually we need to, to be further educated in, in the truth of all this matter. It, again, it's a process, no problem. It's good that you are acknowledging the, the challenge, because if you don't acknowledge, the challenge may be, still be there. But <laughs> And it will be more of a challenge if you are not acknowledging that. So I think those will be some ideas regarding how to how to deal with that. War lila, some interpretative meaning, some... And proper appreciation, again, of, of the, the highest level of selfless love and how so many great personalities like Brahma, 
like Udav, they are praying to be born or to receive to be born in Braj as speck of dust or a, a blade of grass to enter in touch with the dust from the feet of the gopis. And there are such sober personalities, sages, again, Sukadev Goswami, Mahaprabhu, all these great personalities. So there's no uh, lack of morality there. No? So it's good to know if, if there is some problem, it's not with Krishna Lila, <laughs> but it's something that I have to solve in my own lens. And it's okay. It's part of of what we are doing as sadhakas. No, we understand the problem is not outside. I mean, the problem is not outside what to speak in Krishna Lila. <laughs> I mean, the, there's no problem anywhere outside and what to speak of Krishna Lila. There's no problem at all there. <laughs> so if there is something to be solved, okay, we will continue our practice, our knowledge, our education, our purification. And and we'll have, we have to be sincere. And I appreciate that sincerity because if not, one may just rush into Krishna Lila and the gopis and... and you may make a mess there with your own faith. So it's good to be, yeah, to be honest and to re to know till where I'm on a safe position, acknowledge all the different things and gradually try to move when some the opportunity comes. That's it, the idea. Thank you. Jai. So we have one more question or maybe more, I don't know. We have uh, more, yes. Okay. I have <laughs> some have I have some minutes, yeah, yeah. We can continue. If you have time. Yeah, we, we have uh, now Bhakti Shakti if she wants to state her uh her sorry for my lateness. Um no problem. but uh, yeah, I'm just worried not to take time or maybe we leave it for next uh, uh, my my question was actually to uh, somehow because we have uh, recently discussions on different visions. Uh, one knows one or believe in one, the other about this topic, which came about falling from Vaikuntha. I more wondered maybe we have to learn how to discuss with each other how to approach um, like how to establish the platform to harmonize that and how to communicate with each other in this in mm. this line mm. and I, I wondered did you speak about your coming to Bulgaria because we got a big hope like <laughs> that you're coming and is it like um, or is it sure or it's not on what it's yeah maybe this is more important to ask <laughs> we can skip the question for next time actually. <laughs> okay. yeah well regarding visiting you there i mean it's not sure in the sense that nothing is sure nowadays with the present world dynamics so but the idea is there the desire is there so i think that's the most important thing um and i know that there is some desire from both sides, so the rest is up to Krishna. No, we, we, we I'm, I'm sure somehow or other something will will happen. So let's see. But yeah, it's not just a rumor. We were just starting to consider the possibility of that. So hope to see you soon. <laughs> and you have a Spanish passport. Uh, that's a thing. I have a Spanish passport, but it's in Argentina. 
but but I but but if that's a must and it's necessary, I can make it. I can bring that somehow. I can make it be sent. I think there's a way to do that. So we'll speak about that eventually. No problem. Okay. But right. and regarding your first point, of course, maybe you. I don't know at which time you connected, but first, very first question. I was speaking about that a little bit since uh, Ganga Shakti spoke. Yeah, asked, I heard. Uh, okay, I heard okay. this part. <clears throat> so just to add something to that. Uh, yeah, I think that that's an important point to uh, to really sometimes. And I'm speaking. I'm writing a book. Maybe you know. I'm almost finishing with that, but it's about another topic. But that's closely connected, which is about bhakti in the jiva. If bhakti is inherent in the jiva or not, and so I'm dealing with what Shastra says about that, but also what some other contemporary acharya have said, and some differences of opinion, and how we are to address those differences, and how to deal with them in, in, a, in a progressive way, in such a way that it may help us our growth and mature our faith. You know? So at one point I mentioned this idea that, this is a technical term, but prameya and pramana. I spoke about pramana a little bit. Pramana means uh, uh, the means to establish a certain truth. Like epistemology, what you call it. Epistemology means how do I know what I know? What's a particular process I take to reach a particular conclusion? There's in every field of knowledge there's epistemology. How do you get to a conclusive knowledge about whatever? So of course we have our own epistemology and there is some epistemological hierarchy in our tradition in the sense it's not that you open every book and that's the same. There's a certain hierarchy regarding means of knowledge. And as I mentioned, for us, Srimad Bhagavatam is the higher Praman, which means the highest source of no revealed knowledge. And we are to see all the other statements revolving around what the Bhagavatam is saying. And there is, I mean, I'm not saying that whimsically, I'm just mentioning briefly, but as I mentioned, Jiva Goswami wrote the whole treatise about that, <laughs> called Tattva Sandarbha. He wrote six Sandarbhas, and the first one is, the force and that's an important point. In his six Sandarva, he speaks about Paramatma, Brahman, Bhagavan, Bhakti, Prem, so many things. But before ascertaining any topic, he goes to his first Sandarva and says, first, first, before speaking about what is to be established, we have to speak about what's the method to establish the truth. Before going to the truth in itself. So what will be the epistemic hierarchy, let's say again, through which we will establish a conclusive truth. If that's not clear, we will be just shouting at each other or quarreling, this say this, this say that, this say this, about this topic. But what's the proper method to reach Siddhanta? Hmm, that's the point. So this is Praman. And Prameya, again, Prameya means that which is to be established through Praman. So sometimes devotees rush into Prameya, into what's to be established, <laughs> why they do not take the time to go to Praman, how to reach that conclusion. And that creates sometimes problems, and some devotees will say, Prabhupada say this, and Bhakti Thakur say this, and Rupa Goswami say this, and I think this other thing. <laughs> so there will be so many differences of opinions, but there's not a clear uh, 
and, and again, this is not only applicable to Gaudiya Vedanta, in every field of knowledge and science and so on, <laughs> there is a method to follow to reach a particular conclusion. In science, for example, they have the scientific method, let's say. If something will be scientifically proved, if it follows certain patterns, of course, it's not our method regarding revelation, but we have a particular method. So the problem is sometimes devotees are not educated on that, basically, with all respect, and I'm and, and not take the time to know about that, even. <laughs> so that creates so much unnecessarily, unnecessary conflict, unnecessarily uh, conclusions also, which may give rise to fanaticism and, 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 and contradictions that need to be solved at some point. Because we need to solve contradictions. Again, if I, as I mentioned today, I heard here Prabhupada say, nobody fall from Vaikuntha. I hear he say, one fall from Vaikuntha. Okay, I pick the fall from Vaikuntha theory. That likes me the most. Okay, I won't forbid you to do so, but in time, at one point you have to deal with the other quote. Because he say the opposite at some point. At some point, if you are really advancing, you won't be able to to just continue as if nothing happens, if you know the opposite has been said over here. So how <clears throat> to harmonize that, how to understand that. So <clears throat> again, that needs time and that needs also flexibility and not to, well, that needs a growth of our faith, basically. And, and understanding that the Guru, as will say, may have a relative side in, in the proper, may have said relative things. And we are not to absolutize them. That's important. It's not that, uh, for example, I don't know. If my Guru Maharaj tells some disciple, I think you should marry, <clears throat> you should get married. I mean, I cannot absolutize that because if not, I have to break my sannyas vow. <laughs> no? <clears throat> and I have to understand, no, he said that to a particular person. That's not absolute. It's, it has not absolute application. It's specific to that case. So the same thing has happened. Sometimes one acharya say this, and you take that as an absolute truth, and you don't understand that was relative. What's the absolute truth? That's in, in shastra. What the Goswami say? What the Bhagavatam say? So if our acharyas <clears throat> at some point say something different, that's to be seen as an outreach technique. Because if not, you have to conclude they do not know the Siddhanta. <clears throat> And that's interesting because in, in my research for the book I'm writing, for example, regarding this idea of bhakti being inherent or not, I, I, go, I went through the writings of basically all of our acharyas. And starting from Bhakti Thakur, it's that we start to, to hear the possibility of bhakti being inherent, <laughs> not before him. So Bhakti Thakur says that Bhakti Siddhanta, Prabhupada, Srila Siddhar Maharaj, other contemporary cells like Naraya Maharaj, Gorgovinda Maharaj, in certain sections of their books or, 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 or lectures, they say Bhakti is inherent. But in, most interestingly, in other sections of their books and lectures, they say exactly the opposite. <laughs> so it's not that I only have to harmonize what Sula Siddhamara say with what Rupa Goswami say. I have to harmonize what Sula Siddhamara say with what Sula Siddhamara say on the other side. <laughs> And again, this is this doesn't mean he's a cheater, he doesn't know what he's saying. It means I have to take the time to understand who he was speaking to in that particular moment and how he resorted to some adjustment because of the capacity of the 
And that takes time. It's not just pressing a button and I reach Siddhanta. And unfortunately, some devotees do not want to take that time. But they want to present absolute truths immediately. <laughs> so that won't work in that way. You will end up being fundamentalist and fanatic. So I think it's important to promote among devotees this, this, uh, the time that is required in order to put everything in context. Without context, and in, especially in India, if you take something out of context, a like word can mean so many things. The Sanskrit terms can have 50 meanings. So if sometimes the devotees ask me, Maharaj, what's the meaning of, I don't know, <laughs> whatever, Atma? And I say, I don't know. But, but I say, I don't know, because you are not the, telling me the context in which the word Atma appears. I mean, I can tell you what Atma means, but it can mean so many things. It can mean mind, it can be, mean intelligence, it can, be, it can mean body, it can mean soul, it can, be, it can mean Krishna. So you can see how the same word can mean God or body, <laughs> depending on the context. So if you take a text out of context, as I, I used to say, a text out of context becomes a pretext, made in a play of words. Text out of context becomes a pretext. And sometimes we do that trying to justify who knows what. You know, our own fanaticism, our own uh, laziness in trying to go through Siddhanta. Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami say, Siddhanta Baliya Chitta Nakara Last that's a very important statement. He said, Siddhanta Valiya Chitta. He said, try to contemplate Siddhanta. Siddhanta means the perfect Siddha Anta, conclusion. The perfected conclusions about everything, try to contemplate them. Try, and in other words, try to reach Siddhanta. Try to make the necessary effort to reach the perfect conclusion. And immediately he says, Nakara alas. <clears throat> Nakara alas means, do not be lazy. <laughs> so he said that because he knows we are lazy. And we don't want to take the necessary... It's like Krishna saying at the end of the Gita. Sarva dharmam parityaja mam ekam sharanam braja. Aham tam sarva papibyo moksha isyami masucha. He said, surrender to me. Leave everything behind. Do not fear. Why he say do not fear? Because he knows we are trembling when we are hearing that. <laughs> so in the same way, Krishna Dakura say here, try to reach Siddhanta, do not be lazy. Why he saying so? Because he knows we are lazy. <laughs> Especially regarding this, because reaching Siddhanta requires time, requires effort, requires education, requires broad-mindedness. It's not just like, I cherry pick the thing that I like the most and I make a whole philosophy out of two words, out of context. So he's saying, try to reach Siddhanta, do not be lazy. <clears throat> By going through such an exercise, Krishna will become much more established in your mind, in your heart. And in other words, if you are not willing to do so, as much as you can, of course, each one has their own capacity. But we have to use our capacity. That's the point. Sometimes they will say, Oh, but you, Maharaj, have this capacity. You can do that. I don't have that capacity. Okay, but you have some capacity. What you are doing with that capacity? Are you using that? Because sometimes, in the name of humility, I'm so falling, I don't have knowledge, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we are lazy. Sometimes they will say, Oh, Maharaj, you know so many verses. I don't have capacity for that. And I say, I don't believe you. 
I mean, you may not have the same capacity, but do not be liar and do, do not tell me I cannot memorize one single verse. You know so many Karmi songs from out in a, written in another language even, <laughs> and you know them by heart. You cannot learn a, a Sanskrit shloka, which is glorifying Krishna. Please, do not cheat yourself. <laughs> so again, we need to be honest and we need to do some effort, some endeavor in order to reach Siddhanta. So again, I'm not saying this in a violent way, hopefully, <laughs> but in a compassionate way. And, and again, with, not everyone will be ready for that. That's another thing. Do not expect everyone to join the party. <laughs> no, Because these things require certain commitment, certain substantial spirit, certain uh, willingness to change, willingness to recognize I'm mistaken, willingness to recognize I'm narrow-minded, willingness to accept there's something that I don't understand. It's going beyond my... A willingness to surrender to the revealed source of knowledge. And sometimes that willingness is, is not there. Or it's not there fully. I mean, so many levels of that. <laughs> so yes, we can try to speak with Vaishnavs. We ourselves are in that process, for sure. It's not here I'm not pointing to someone else. We are ourselves trying to be more broad-minded, more open, more surrender. It's not about someone else outside. Each one is in their own process. So we, we can try to dialogue, to speak, to open our hearts and minds and try to establish a proper way. And, and that's, that's sometimes sad because sometimes between among Gaudiya groups there is not full consensus about this. About, for example, how to reach Siddhanta. Hmm. And, and different devotees may have different ideas <laughs> because of misunderstanding. But it's not that you pick the one you like the most. There is some established way of doing so. Establishing, again, in Shastra, by Mahaprabhu, by the Goswamis, by Parampara. But again, each one sometimes may interpret them independently and that creates some problems. So we cannot force anyone to accept that. I'm not saying to accept our idea because it's not ours. We are just trying to present what Shastra, what Siddhanta is saying. That will be our take. So the ones who would like to join the conversation, they are welcome. And the ones who do not, I mean, we, we won't force them to do so, or we won't demonize them either. And so we have to really be mature, respectful, but of course sometimes take respectful distance in, <laughs> if, if it's not possible to really have a, a dialogue, and, and, and a, a really constructive dialogue, because we are looking for the truth. You know, Jiva Goswami speaks about these three types of conversation. Bada, Jalpa, and Bitanda. So I won't, I, I'm extending already, but in brief words, there are three levels of dialogue. The, 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 the ideal one is, I'm speaking with you and both of us are interested in truth, in the truth. We want to reach the truth. I don't want to be right. I want to reach the truth. If I have to recognize my mistake, no matter, I want the truth, no matter what. So that's a... That's the highest level of conversation. Both parties are really interested in truth. The intermediate or rajasic conversation, let's say, is we are speaking, and both of us speak, and both of us hear, and I hear you, but I don't care about what you are saying, actually. I'm just waiting for my turn to say what I think is true, basically. <laughs> but I hear you. There is some diplomacy there. I let you speak. <laughs> But I'm not really hearing you. I'm hearing you externally. 
and the worst type of conversation, the Tamasic one, is nobody's hearing anyone. Both parties are shouting at each other and trying just to impose on the other what they think is true. So that's a Tamasic conversation. So we really want to reach the, at least the Satvi level, with both of us are hearing, and both of us are willing to know the truth, which means willing to learn, which means willing to change. So sometimes that's possible, sometimes that's not. Um, of course, for having some intimate exchange, we need certain favorable circle for that. Krishna says that in the Gita. That's Sadhu Sangha. So Ajatya, like-minded people, like-minded here means who are interested in this same thing. And if that's in place, Bodhayanta Parasparam Katayanta Krishna says, you will get together, my devotees get together with one another, they enlighten one another, they nourish one another, speaking about me. Which means how that happens, the two of the two parties, the two of them, or the three or the four of them are interested in truth. No matter what adjustment they have to make, they are willing to change for the sake of truth. That's, I will say, the most important point. Because sometimes the problem is not so much if the jiva fell off by Kunt or not. The problem is how much I'm willing to change <laughs> my opinion. <laughs> how much I'm willing to accept that I'm not right. Sometimes the real root problem is that, even though the person may not recognize that. Because that's one of the most deep problems. I want to be right. Sometimes there is this famous... I, I, I saw one interview with someone saying that, you want to be happy... You want to be peaceful or you want to be right? Like implying, if you want to be happy and peaceful, sometimes you won't be right. <laughs> I mean, people choose, I want to be right, no matter what. So that implies, okay, you won't be peaceful and you won't be happy. Mm. And you won't be right either. <laughs> That's the worst thing. You won't have anything. And Krishna says something similar at the end of the Gita, at the end of the 16th chapter. He said, for those who reject Shastra, for those who, again, what we were speaking, who reject the proper method of knowing, Utriya, Utriya means rejecting, and instead they act in a whimsical way, not following Shastra. What's the result of that action or that discussion? Nasa mabapnati nasukam na paramgatim. Na, 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 Krishna said. Nasa they do not attain perfection. Nasukam, they do not attain happiness. Na parangatim, they do not attain the ultimate goal. Of course, the question is, what do they attain? <laughs> Big headache only. So, so, first of all, we have to be careful not to be part of that type of <laughs> category to begin with. And, and if someone else has that, trying to help compassionately, if they are not willing to be helped, okay, we take some respectful distance and we try to nourish ourselves in as much as we can in, 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 in a group. Pro promoting challenging discussions and conversations and, and change. Again, in a sustainable way and in a loving way. Not in a violent way, not in a in positive way. So all the things have to be in place. It's, and it's not easy, because you require maturity and realization. If not, you just will see your own prejudices trying to jump out, out on the other's neck. <laughs> when other differs from you, when others, uh, and, and you may realize, oh, I want to be right. 
in this moment. I, I, my ego is winning the, winning, taking the best of me. So, so those things are important for us to realize what we have to change as well. So, again, some thoughts. I hope that helps to promote, to continue promote further dialogue. And that happens everywhere. It's not something that may happen in Bulgaria or whatever. <laughs> That's part of our human condition and our project of sadaka so there's nothing to be discouraged thinking oh there is some problem here nobody else is having that that's what what it means to to grow so as much as we are willing to acknowledge that and to embrace its solution there's no major problem no problem yes thank you very much it was nice to know this approach actually and it immediately makes it more like uh, static and more realistic very nice thank you for yeah. that. and trying to try to nourish from the ones who think different from you that's very important and i don't want to put myself as an example because i'm not but but i try i try for example now in my book i shared the contents of my book with some devotees that i knew think differently than me had different opinion so to know their arguments to my points in a sadwig way, again, not like I will defeat you or something like this, go to the debate and I will really kill you in front of everyone, nothing like that. But I, th I have this opinion, I have these thoughts according to, uh, what's your opinion? I know what's your opinion, but how you reach that? What do you have to say to what I'm saying here? And they were offering very healthy criticism on differences of opinion. I got nourished by them. I mean, it doesn't mean that I took their opinion and I think like them in certain things, but their views help me so we need that we need also different views to to broaden our horizon because if not everything is the same everyone thinks the same it's boring <laughs> so even amongst ourselves we need that it's really diversity as they say is the spice of life not too much diversity because too much spice may ruin the food don't be careful with some how much masala you put <laughs> but without any masala i mean it's it's tasteless so Everything is in its place. Okay, so I think we can leave here if it's no problem. I, According to what Mahaprabhu told me, there are some questions. So today was particularly, I, I shared some particularly long answers, replies, so sorry for that. Uh, especially for the ones who make questions that have not been addressed. But I have to do some things now here. So... I think we can leave here, and if there are any other questions on during next Q and A, we can have those as a priority, if you will, and continue replying to them. So, thank you very much. My pleasure to see you via Zoom, and hopefully see you not only see you Zoom, but see you soon also <laughs> personally. <laughs> so let's see what what arrangements are to be made there. Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai Gaur Bhakta Vrind ki jai Gaur Gaur Pramananda Haribo Jai